good. It always takes a second for this to come up on my... this week than we were last week. Well, what happened? Weather? Yeah. That's, it's alright. I was uh, talking to a guy this morning and he was telling me that his uh, mom watches YouTube all the time. She's she's old, but she's always watching uh, scenery and birds. She likes birds, and so she's watching all that stuff. And I said, you know, that's the way people live. And I'm not against YouTube or YouTube. I like YouTube. But so, well, like what we talked about Wednesday, you're trying to live somebody else's adventure instead of going out and enjoying the birds yourself. You know, and I and I just thought that's the way most people are with with the Lord. They, you know, let the preacher go talk to him. Let somebody else, all you people that's close to him, because I don't want to get involved too much. So I watch a good sermon on YouTube, and they they never enjoy the Lord. And I'm telling you, if people could really get a hold of it. It'd be life shattering, but most people don't get a hold of it because people still have the sin consciousness that they just think it keeps them separated from God all the time. And it's really, I say it's really pitiful. It's, it's just darkness. It's just blindness. I don't know what else you can, you can say about it. I just wonder how many people truly enjoy the Lord. I mean, really? You know, we sing the song, what a friend we have in Jesus, but how much is that really true? That, because you know a friend is somebody that you want to spend time with and be around and have a good time with. When you go somewhere, don't you want to take your friend with you? I mean, that's real life stuff. So, you know, if we're over there planting taters, you want your best friend with you. And he knows a little bit about planting taters. He made them. <laughs> so if you're planting apple trees, he knows about because, you know, he made them. So, yeah, it's good to have, you know, the, the greatest botanist in the whole world with you while you're doing it. Plus, he's a good friend. And, uh, I don't know. People don't see the gospel that way. I guess to me, I told him, I said, man, I like it when the gospel gets down in the dirt. That's when it's the real deal to me. Other than that, it's just superficial junk. Anyway, glad y'all are here. Who you say I am? Stand with us. Who am I that the highest king would win? 
know. Did Bethel write that song? They do it, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know who wrote it. It's a beautiful song. But there's a song I've heard Jim Johnson do. I can't remember the name of that song. But it's a song with a, I call it a reverse. Uh, it's like the Lord is singing to you instead of you singing to the Lord. And it's a beautiful song. I can't think of the name of that song. You ever heard it? can't think of it. Morgan, uh, uh, Come to Me. That's, I think that's the name of the song, Come to Me. And it's, it's the Lord singing the song, you know, inviting you. I think it's called Come to Me. It's a beautiful song. I always think about that when I, when I hear those songs. And we sing those songs as like we're singing to the Lord, which we are. But you realize he's the original singer. He's the original songwriter. And I, I love that. Uh, I think in Hosea, he said that he would woo you and you know, draw you out and, and woo you. And I always get this picture in my mind. God looks like Elvis Presley and he's playing Love Me Tender. <laughs> That's just a thought that goes to my mind. <laughs> it's kind of crazy, ain't it, Joe? We think, hey, but hey, listen, I mean, who's the original love songwriter? I mean, he is. And so I think about when we sing these songs, man. We're singing to him and we mess up and do all that, but man, he's he knows how to do it right. Here we go. I love you, Lord. Mercy never fails me. In all my days, I've been held in your hand. The moment that I wake up, till I lay my head, I will sing of the goodness of God.
up and I got to thinking in my mind right there I thought this is normally the time when Jeff does a solo and I thought he made me mad this morning I'm just going to jump right on in I'm just kidding I forgot that's the beauty of live music yeah just on the fly you know why he got mad at me yeah I asked him how he turned the TV on he says hit the home button See, I said, I'll get you back. <laughs> it's tough to be smart. <laughs> okay. Enough I need a savior. Yeah, I do. <laughs> How many names did I used to explain?
Circumstance. He never abandons us. He never fails nor forsakes us. He is always, always faithful. He is a Savior. He is a Savior. And we owe Him all our praise. All our praise is due to Him. He is so worthy. So worthy. got a rookie on the computer back there so if I say Philippians and up comes Romans it's her fault all right I know we've been a long time here but uh, I'm going to jump right in freedom from the tyranny of circumstances part six Going back to Philippians, I'm going to start in verse 18, Philippians 1:18. But, uh, you know, remember, Paul's in prison, been there four or five years, chained to a Roman guard, waiting to see Nero. All these things has happened to him. The Philippians have sent uh, Epaphroditus, yeah, Epaphroditus there. Paul's writing this letter back to him. He tells him his bonds are in Christ. And in verse 18, he says, What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. Remember when we talked about that, this was being spread throughout the palace. And I 
And I therein do rejoice, yea, I will rejoice, for I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, <clears throat> according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as, in always, as always, so now also in Christ Jesus be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, always remember this as a letter. And it was written to a certain group of people, the Philippians. And normally, they wouldn't just pull a letter and read a couple verses of it. They, they wouldn't verses. It was a letter. So they would read the whole letter. And as you read this letter, the amazing thing about this um, and of course, this is like all of them with Paul. And maybe this paragraph, maybe this statement sums it up. He says, I therein do rejoice. Yea, I will rejoice. I mean, look at that statement. I will rejoice. Why, Paul? Because you're in jail? Because everybody's forsook you? Because you're, you're in chains? You haven't preached in four or five years? His mindset is, I will rejoice. Yea, I will rejoice. And he, he goes on to speak of confidence, for I know this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer. You know, when you read these things, I want you to understand this, King James. Was Paul writing here someone looking to get a ticket to heaven? Had Paul lost his salvation, you know, as people say? He, Paul says, this too will turn to my salvation. I believe Paul found, or it found him on the road to Damascus. So Paul's not talking about, hey guys, I lost my salvation, I sinned last week, and now if you guys will pray, I might get re-saved and rededicate my life. That's not what he's talking about. I mean, he speaks of confidence here, for I know. And I've got to ask here, and I just, I think we've got to look at it just a little bit. What did Paul believe that gave him this kind of attitude under these circumstances? I mean, I mean, what is it? What is most people, I'm telling you, if you want to know what's really inside of somebody, put them under a little pressure. Man, don't that bring it to the surface. I've seen some very, very nice people, little circumstances, man, the ugly comes out. And you say, well, what is that? I mean, that's what Adam and Eve did. They put on fig leaves. We put on masks. People know how to put on masks. And circumstances will bring that out. Well, when in Paul's, in these circumstances, what comes out of him? Joy. That's crazy, isn't it? What did he believe that gave him this kind of attitude in these circumstances in jail? What is it? What, I mean, you would have to ask, what, what is his belief system that produces enthusiasm and joy? I mean, what's he drawn from? You know, I, maybe Paul got a hold of those CDs from Tony Robbins. And he's listening to the CDs from Tony Robbins in jail. And, you know, maybe that's what it is. 
Nothing against Tony Robbins. I mean, you know, these motivational speakers, you can listen to them all day long, but if you, what you'll find out is that's all outside stuff. You may be motivated for a little while, and then it goes away because it has no source. It has no substance. Paul's got something here that he's drawing from. You don't find this in today's church world, this enthusiasm, do you? I mean, really, you don't. It's got to be made up or pumped up. You don't, you don't find it. Most people forgot what they heard last week. They go their own way, business as usual. And you go into a world that hardly thinks about God at all. I mean, you do realize that. I could, I could say it this way. God has thought about it a little bit. And I hear people say this. And I always kind of listen, you know, like a hound dog sniffing it out. People will talk about God and they'll put it on the money a little bit. And they'll talk about God and politicians. Well, how many people, you know, really talks about the Lord Jesus? There's few people talks about God, even less talk about Jesus. Jesus is the name. And his name right here in this letter is the name that is above every name that ever knees shall bow. But we got God over here. Jesus, you know, he's sure not a friend to him. Because, you know, when, when somebody's your friend, you, you just happen to talk about him a lot. Well, me and my friend and me and my, you know. And here's Paul in this Roman jail, chained to a Roman prisoner. And he has great joy no matter what. He says, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. He's so filled with joy, he's telling us to rejoice with him. Paul is inviting you and me to come into his joy and rejoice with him. I mean, that's what he's saying. It's, you know, David said, my cup runneth over. And Jesus told the woman, there'll be a well in you springing up, uh, you know, and it's just pouring out. He's, he's not out trying to spread the gospel, man. It's just joy is spilling out from him wherever he goes. fountain of joy in this man and it's his strength that carries him through the joy of the Lord the joy of the Lord is my strength think about that the joy of the Lord is my strength you ever really think about that the joy of the Lord what does that mean to most people it means hey I've died and I went to heaven there are no more bad circumstances no more I mean, this is the same guy who made havoc of the church. You, you remember that? He made havoc of the church. He, had, he was a terrorist to the church. And now he's full of joy. I mean, this is a joy that's not of this world that, that he has. I don't know if you've known this or not, but the world has no joy. They don't have any joy. The world has no joy. 
They can't have joy because joy is a person. They, they, they can't have it. I mean, I just wonder if people, people search high and low. People want entertainment. Why do you think, and nothing against them, why do you think everybody wants to go to Disney? Maybe not so much now, but why? They want to go, to, they want to go have joy. They want to go live the dream. Joy, the magic kingdom. Now think about Paul is inviting you to join him in his rejoicing and Paul's in jail. I mean, it would be different, of course. I don't know. Do you ever just think about these things? I, I know what attracts the, the natural, fleshly mindset. And it's, it's all the sparkly all that, all that stuff, you know. This is a joy. I mean, when they see a reason for the hope that is in you, because there's joy in this hope. It's, it's in, included right in there. No, we've talked about this before, and I'll, I'll go over this again with you. The closest the world can get is happiness. And it's that brief moment between the pain. Happenings, you know. How many, how many people's days are dictated by other people? who comes into their life and in and out of their life. I mean, I was having a good day until you showed up. I was having a good day until this showed up. I was happy until you showed up. I always think about that. They let people rob them, but what's the scripture say about the devil? He comes to kill, steal, and destroy Jesus said, lay up your treasures we're at in heaven where the moth, they can't corrupt and all this. So I'm talking here, not natural things, but, but a joy that people can't rob you of. Happenstances and happenings and circumstances can't steal your joy. Happiness of the world, it's a, it's a random thing that has no real foundation. I mean, you could get up in the morning and it'd be sunshiny and beautiful and the birds are singing and your day is going good and go to work and one bad thing happens or a fender bender or you you lose a, you didn't get a promotion or you you know maybe you lost your job you got laid off all oh, it's terrible I was telling the guy this morning I said you know we don't realize it sometimes but all of our and, and such a mindset you do realize that everything you own is based on the government. And what I mean is, and you know, you go back in history, the Indians didn't believe you could own land. So, so here comes the, the English people, and they show up, and they said, you know what, uh, we're taking it. And then another king could come along, and, and he died, and okay, you know, maybe you own Ohio. And he says, I don't like you anymore. You're out of favor with the king. I'm taking it from you, and I'm giving it to Johnny over here, and now they own Ohio. 
So, I mean, you might think, hey, I got a right. I got this piece of paper. It's all based on the government. The government changes. They could come in tomorrow and say, hey, guys, you have nothing. We're taking it all. And you people think, well, that can't happen. We got a constitution. Well, guess what? These things happen all over the world. This is what happened to Paul. I want you to realize here he is. He's, he's been accused falsely. He's locked up in jail and he done nothing wrong. And he spent four years. Imagine, I just want you to get this. Imagine they come into your home tonight, bust in your home and lock you in jail. Four years in solitary confinement and you did nothing wrong. Hey, you think it can't happen. It's happening to a guy up there in Canada. Right? That preacher up there, man, he's, he's going through it. All he's doing is trying to preach the gospel. He's locked up, treated him like a dog. What did he do wrong? He preached the gospel. He was, oh, it can't happen. And in the middle of that, I tell you these things because in the middle of that, if you don't have this joy, then it'd be, be pretty rough. But see, they couldn't, they couldn't move Paul. I mean, he's got something here that they, they can't touch. And I'm, you try to tell people. You, try to, you can't even give it to people. You, you know, you want to. But, I mean, here's a guy that, you know, he's been shipwrecked, snake bitten, called all kinds of names, beaten. But yet he's got a joy. And he makes a choice, I will rejoice. People look at God through the lens of what's happening to them. Good things are happening. God is pleased with me. I'm on God's good side. I'm in God's good graces, right? Bad things are happening to me. He must be ticked off. God's trying to get my attention. Have you ever heard that? Well, the reason God gave you cancer is he was trying to get your attention. Have you ever heard that? I mean, there's a doctrine to that. Well, the reason I was in a terrible car crash is, and, you know, and got crippled from the neck down is God was trying to get my attention. He's God who made Venus and Jupiter and whales and bluegills and taters. Do you think maybe he could use another method? I mean, I mean, you know, just. But this is what we do. I mean, this is the way we are taught. That this is what God uses to get our attention. I'm thinking there could have been some other ways. You know, I wonder why he didn't send cancer down there to Pharaoh. Send him frogs. Imagine that. Frogs and lice. Pharaoh liked the frogs. You know how I know Pharaoh liked the frogs? Because Moses went to him and says, It's your word. The frogs will be gone. Pharaoh says, Tomorrow then. I want to sleep one more night with the frogs. He liked them. I just wonder what would how would we respond? That's what this guy was asking me. How would you respond if this all happened to you? You're lied on, arrested, falsely accused, thrown in jail, have to deal with corrupt politicians. You don't have money for the bribe. If you got enough money, you can bribe your way out, but you don't, nobody's paying the bribe on and on and on. 
And if you look at God through the lens of what's happening to you, what's the, what's the only result that can happen? Anxiety, worry, wondering, seriously wondering. I mean, would you think God really loved you? If you looked at God through everything that's happening to you, I mean, people will jump up and down and say, hey, man, God loves me. We got approved for the loan or we got, we got all that. God really loves me or we didn't. I lost my job. God really he's, hates me. It's the way people get along. I'd be in great religious anxiety, seriously wondering and here's the question, if God really loved me, how in the world could he let this happen to me? Have you ever heard that? If God is really love, how could he let this happen? I hear it all the time. People's circumstances, what's happening to them, what they're going through as the lens, that's how they interpret God. What is it every time? I mean, you think I'm silly here, but what happens every year in August? Every year in August, storms start off the coast of Africa. And they come this way. And they build up steam. And they turn into hurricanes. And sometimes they come into the Gulf of Mexico. Sometimes they go up through Florida. Sometimes they go up through Bermuda. Guys, did it just start last year? These things have been going on since the fall of man. Since the flood. But every year, what is it? Storms are getting worse. And they always tell me, this is the worst storm since 1912. Well, I'm thinking, if storms are getting worse, then I would think, I'm looking at Jake, I would think from 1912 on, they would keep getting worse. And I would say, this storm is worse than last year. But it's always, this is the worst storm since 1912. You see, the math don't add up. God must be angry. It's hotter now than it's ever been. I mean, we got, we got heat waves not recorded since 1942. I thought 1942, God was so happy and he loved the whole world. And now people is atrocious and it's getting worse. I would think it would be consecutively getting hotter every year. That's just my logic. I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. Every time there's a fire out in California, this is it. This is it. God is ticked off. He's mad. It, maybe it's because, uh, you know, they don't treat the forest right out there and they don't let them burn off the underbrush. And, and, you know, it would be like saying, I don't know why there's a drought over in the deserts of Africa, but it hasn't rained in the Sahara Desert for 40 years. Duh, it's a desert. But we interpret God through the lens of all of this stuff and we conclude God must be angry. He's got to be angry. If he's not angry, <laughs> he hasn't watched the news. Because when he does and he flips on the TV up in heaven, they got a big screen. It's bigger than the one the Cowboys has got. Big screen TV. And when he finds out what's going on, he's going to be ticked. And... and People interpret God through that. And then they think, and then, and then, you know, they get this feeling, I've been forsaken. Does God love me? Did I do something wrong? I mean, I grew up in this. Does God love me? Did I do something wrong? I mean, just every time something happened to somebody, every time they stubbed their toe, God's trying to get my attention. God's, you know. And, you know, stubbing the toe is a really big deal. 
My solution for stubborn toes is don't go barefooted. I don't like going barefoot. Some people like it. I always end up stubbing my toe. And then in the middle of all that, everybody has these miserable comforters that come along like Job did. There must be sin in your life. I know why you're going through this. There's sin in your life. If you don't get it squared away, God's going to leave you. He's going to, you're going to end up in hell. I mean, you're on a thin line. I mean, I hear this all the time. I mean, how many times people want to get up and tell you the good news, but? Few there be. I mean, if y'all, you know, you got to stop. I mean, you could be preaching, but then all of a sudden it stops. Few there be. Straight is the gate. Oh, my God. Narrows away. It's scripture. It's red letter. Must be true. Straight is the gate. Narrow is the way. I'm telling you what. What I read, there ain't going to be but 17 or 18 people make it to heaven. I'm counting one, two, two. 144,000. I don't know how they got there. Straight is narrow is the way. Few there be. I mean, is that good news? I mean, the gospel good news, I mean, when you hear few there be, does that make you want to turn around in the air and, and dance and do all that stuff? No, it brings anxiety, and I'm wondering. You know, if you keep that in context, you know who Jesus was talking to? He was talking to the Jews, the Hebrews, and he's talking about them. They were so locked into the old customs and traditions of the law of Moses, it would be few of them who would come out to follow on to know Christ. That's who he was talking to. That's what he was talking about. I mean, we find out that in the very end, they all forsook him. Few there be. That's who that was. He wasn't talking about, oh my God, heaven's, heaven is such a hard place to get to. And my mind, and I, I'll tell you guys this, I just think how foolish that we get sometimes. In my mind, if heaven is so hard to get to and God is love, why not just make us there? Do you ever think these questions? Why put us in a garden? Why let the stake? Why let the devil in the garden? Why? He could have cut. I mean, he knew the devil was going to do this long. Why even make him? Just make us in heaven, make it all Disney World, and boom, there we go. Well, you got to have a choice. Who says you got to have a choice? I mean, really? My kids, they don't, I, you know, I, I didn't say, okay, you guys are two years old now. I mean, do you love me? If not, you're out. I mean, do you know what I mean? Wouldn't that be stupid? You would be put up for abused father. Listen, if everything that we say about God was true, we would have to con condemn him in a court of law and put him in jail as being a crazy lunatic. We really would. We really would. I mean, there's no way that, oh, well, God is love, few there be. God is love and it fires a hell. Miserable comforters, guys, they come at you. There's sin in your life. Well, and then, uh, uh, I know why you lost your joy. You don't have enough faith. I mean, you could have had your healing, but you don't have enough faith. So in other words, it's all your fault. And I always think God comes down and he miraculously sprinkles magic, does salvation on me, and I got saved. And he jets off back to heaven. Leaves me here alone. I'm to try my best. 
And sometimes I would think God just looks at me and says, you know what, I'm, I'm fed up with you. Tired of it. You just keep, and you know what's bad is, I, I, I think of these things, how the Lord just gives you a picture. We were working at, at this location, we call it Spring, but if you guys ever go down Norton Way, it's called Tacoma. Y'all know where Tacoma is? Tacoma. And it come the second hardest rain since the flood. I know this. You know how I know it? Not that I was at the flood, but I was in this rain. Twelve hours in this pouring down rain. Can't see nothing. It's pouring down. And, all, and the way the, the railroad was, it was all coming off the road and washing right down in. And this big truck pulled in. And wiped our gate mech and crossing out. So we had to replace it. So sometimes railroad life is not as glamorous as what people would think. Oh, I'd love to have a job on a railroad. I mean, you're cold, soaked to the bone. You're trying to dig a hole that keeps filling up with water. It's tough. It's tough. It's not like a state job. It's really, oh. <laughs> I would get who I'm talking to. Neil's like, yeah. Sometimes it's it's terrible. Well, anyway, we we did we had to, and then nothing works, nothing fits. We got to redo the cable all nine yards, and we had dug a hole and we'd filled it up. Well, it's like filling up a hole with soup. Well, let me tell you something. Peter may have walked on the water, but Jimbo, I couldn't even walk on the mud. You'd just sink right up. And I think about this all the time. So we had worked our twelve hours in this. And a, a real good friend of mine, dad knows him, old Don, he, he showed up for, to relieve us. I'm hungry, I'm starving to death, 12 hours, pouring down rain, working like mules, froze, I'm ready to go home, and I say, Don, this may look like it's solid ground, but don't step there. It'll, you'll sink up. It's... And Don ain't but about this tall. I mean, he's, he's way short. Great guy. And Don went over there and got to the edge of that thing where it was. And he stepped. And when he stepped, he wasn't at the edge. He stepped right slap in the middle of it and sunk plumb up to his waist. Now, he's not on the job one minute. And he's knee deep. I mean, he's waist deep in the mud. <laughs> we had to pull him up out of the mud and now he's got to work 12 hours I'm going home and he's covered boots full of mud everything and I'm laughing and I, and I just thought isn't that us Christians we say Bev don't step here and you get as close as you can and both feet right slap dab in it <laughs> and Don got mad. He, you know, his response was, throw the meter. Who was the truck driver to hit this stupid crossing? And, you know, I mean, he's a good Christian guy. And I just can't help but laugh. I'm over laughing so hard. My belly's jiggling. And I'm thinking, man, it's going to be a long 12 hours for you. See you later. <laughs> you know, I, went on, I, just, I, I think about that all the time. He was so mad. And I thought it was so funny. 
see how the circumstances had changed. And I, and I thought I would go back and look and I would say, that's me stepping in the same stinking mud hole over and over and over again, doing the same dumb stuff. And finally, my religious comforter says, well, you know, you keep making that same mistake over and over again, God's going to get tired of you. And eventually, that's it. Right? Now, what we're really saying is that's what I would do. And since God uh, is like me, that's what I would do. Eventually, I would get tired of you and cut you off. People would look at these circumstances and they would say, man, God, God surely... He's left you. I mean, look at Paul in the middle of this jail. Would you look at that and say, surely this is victory? Surely this is what victory looks like. Yeah. I mean, you, you look at the government and people look around and they say, well, surely. I mean, would you guys think that our government is corrupt? Duh. I mean, where's the victory? Where's the joy? We look at it. Where, where's it at? Paul's in the middle of this, and he has joy. Yet Paul don't ask any of these questions. You ever hear Paul writing the letter saying, I don't know what I did to make God so mad. I don't know what I did to get thrown in jail. I don't know what I did while God has left me. Paul says, I will rejoice. Yeah, I will rejoice. I mean, that's what he says. And they're writing like, oh my God, Paul, have you done something? Why are you in jail? I mean, are you, is God going to get you out? Where's the victory? What is the victory? We're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. He wrote that. Paul, this guy wrote, we are more than conquerors in, in Christ Jesus. He wrote Ephesians. He wrote Colossians. He wrote all these from the same place. Philemon, to Timothy. In those letters, do you read anxiety? I mean, do you read where Paul is writing? I'm telling you what. There ain't but a few of y'all in Ephesus is going to make it. I'm sorry, but, you know, God's done predestined it, and y'all are, are all going to hell. I mean, what does he do? He brings us great revelation of God's love to us, Right? Paul, Paul is not looking, looking at God through the lens of what's happening to him. He's not looking at God through the circumstances. He's not in despair. He's not in depression. But he, with joy, with excitement, enthusiasm. And, and I want to tell you something. This is not like, when I say like, like joy. I'm talking joy, the joy of the Lord. Not like joy. The joy of the Lord. It's like uh, everlasting life or like strength. Uh, you know, well, God give me strength. No, he's it. I mean, he is joy. I mean, he's, you know, you, can, you know what everlasting life, when people say everlasting life, that means I'm going to live a long time on planet heaven. Man, everlasting life is God life. He's it. And you do realize you have that now because he who is life lives in you and you live in him. I mean, this is God joy. It's unique. It's divine. It's, it's other than the world has ever, they don't even know about it. And somehow this God joy 
has gotten inside of Paul. And, it, and it's filled him from head to toe with it so much it's spilling out of him. I mean, he's walking around and joy has fallen on the ground. I mean, yesterday we were over there and we, we had to bring some water back up to, to plant some trees. So we got the water down here and we try to make it back without it spilling out of the buckets. Well, every time you hit a bump, it spills out. Think about that. You hit a bump and it spills out. This is what happened to Paul. He's, he's hit bumps here and joy is spilling out of him. The worse they make it, the more they rock the boat, the more joy spills out of him because that's what's on the inside of him. Joy, it's God joy. The more they try to lock him up and beat him and do all these things, the more joy comes out of him. See, we were driving real slow trying not to let the joy come out. See, that's what the world does. They want to drive real slow so that what's in you don't spill out. Well, shoot, the more they rock the boat, the more the joy spilled out of Paul. I mean, this is a fountain inside of him. It's coming out, it's being spoken, it's seen in his body, it's seen in his person, Paul. I mean, in, in verse 18, he says, I therein do rejoice, but look what he says. He says, yea, yes, I will rejoice. He makes a decision here. It's Paul's chosen response, I will rejoice. He, he's responded to who God is. Let me say this. This guy asked me, he says, he says, um, what happens when you're driving down the road and, and he, I'll just tell you like he said, and he says, um, maybe people cut you off. And sometimes... He said it this way. Some people, you can just be driving down the road, and some, sometimes people will just drive by you and flip you off. And you're thinking, what did I do? You don't even know what you did. Well, I don't know, but it just happens. They, they will do it. You know, wave at you, not use your whole hand, telling you you're number one. And you don't even know what happened. And, you know, sometimes you can get quite angry at that, just that little response, like, who the heck are you with? I know I'm number one. You don't have to tell me. You don't have to remind me. I got it. But he says, uh, what's your first response to that? And I said, well, you know, naturally so. Most of the times our first response is, is uh, to whatever the situation is scared. It's kind of natural. You go into the doctor and the doctor says, man, this is it. You're going to be ugly the rest of your life. I'm like, no, I'm not. You know what I'm talking about. You can, you can hear something like that, and your first response is fear and anxiety. Be scared, whatever, anger. But in that response, there, uh, there is that. That's the point I'm trying to make. That's where the waiting on the Lord is. That's where uh, the, the response to who God is should, should override that. And what I mean is you can go with your first response and say, okay, well, naturally I should be scared, so I'm going to stay here in the scared state. But God has given us the Holy Spirit. 
So now in the midst of that, I learned, because the guy said, don't you get mad anymore? I said, well, yeah, everybody does. I mean, it's a, it's a natural response, but you learn. You remember Jesus said, abide in me? I'm the vine, you're the branches, abide in me. I, you know, and he says, mortify the deeds of the flesh and all of these other things. So when these things happen, that's when you abide in him. That's when I make a choice as Paul makes. Paul says, you know what? I will rejoice. Now, why is this just something that he comes up in his religious mindset that says, I'm going to make a decision and rejoice? No, there's substance to it. And you go all the way back in the Old Testament, the substance to it is he knows who God is. He knows who he is. How does he, I mean, look in the Psalms. You go look in the Psalms, you know. Rejoice and be glad. You know, we sung the song last week, I will rejoice, I will rejoice and be glad. I mean, that's a psalm. David was singing it. Why was he singing it? Because he knew who God was. He knew who he is. God had revealed himself. God had shown himself to the people. Now, the way God did that is he... he he showed himself to the people by what he did. God never sat up there and said, uh, you know, with these abstract sayings, saying things about himself. When God says he's holy, he showed he's holy. When he says he's got all power, he's, he, show, he, he reveals who he is by showing who he is. He doesn't sit around and say, well, I'm good. I'm just good. Well, how are you good? Trust me, I'm good. He shows it. He reveals it. And in that revealing of who he is, he, and God doesn't change, then I know that's who he is. I know what he's like because of what he did. Uh, uh, they rejoiced and they kept on remembering it as we'll, we'll do on and on. They kept rejoicing in because every time he did it, it showed them something about God. Now, the final revelation of God, that God told us about who He is, what He's all about, comes to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. The final revelation. He's it. You want to know what God the Father is like? Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. And when we go back to the Scriptures, we see what God has been telling us all along. Uh, because what does the Scriptures do? They testify of Jesus. And, wh and who does... What does Jesus do? He reveals who the Father is. All the scriptures testify of Jesus, and Jesus reveals to us who the Father is. And who is the Father? It's love. Not some abstract statement, but God, passion, love. And when I say passion, a love that can never grow old, never die out, never get... Bored with you? Never. Do you ever think about that? I mean, we say people in this world are bored. You know, I'm bored with this, bored with that. I've, so many relationships have ended because people are bored with their spouse or bored. Do you realize God is never bored with you? No matter how many times you step in the mud hole, He's never bored. There's always this passion. There's, it's always fresh. I 
And all of this has come to us finally being revealed in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the biggest need of the, of, of the church today, to have a revelation that God is kind, that God is good, that God is compassionate, that God is love. They don't know that. To them, ask anybody who God is. I, I, I challenge you. Ask believers who God is. Who is God to you? 80% of the people will say he's judge. 80% of church-going people will say, first thing, first and foremost, he's judge. He's judge. I, I guarantee you, well, yeah, I think about these silly things. I mean, is that the good news? Is that the gospel? If I, if I told all of you guys tomorrow, 9 a.m., all you guys got to go to Tazewell County Courthouse. You all got to go stand before Judge Hardhead. And you know Judge Hardhead. You better hope he's in a good mood. Because if he's not in a good mood, all of y'all in the morning, I mean, would y'all be sitting here saying, thank God I get to go stand before Judge Hardhead. He's, he's, he's condemned millions to die. I'm so excited. I want to call all my friends and tell everybody in the morning at 9 a.m. I'm going to be standing before Judge Hardhead. And then I got a whole long list of stuff that I did. And he's going to bring every single one of them out. And this is going to be awesome. I'm so happy. This is the gospel. This is good news. I mean, how many of you would be rejoicing in it? So ask believers who was God. First thing they say is he's judge. And what does the world say to that? Y'all are crazy. I'm skipping the court date. I'm going AWOL. I mean, I'm jumping bail. I'm out of here. Wouldn't you? And we think, well, they're crazy. Why don't they just go and get it over with? I mean, if you had to go stand before Judge Hardhead, I'd be bailing too. I'll take my punishment. When they catch me, I'm out of here. It's no wonder the people don't want to go visit Judge Hardhead. And to say, I mean, they look at Jesus and they think, well, yeah, Jesus is all good, but I know his dad, and boy, his dad is tough, and I don't want to be around him. He came to reveal who the Father is. I mean, is the good news that God gave you a list of commands? Knowing you was going to break them? knowing that you had no strength in you to do them. I mean, this is a good God, isn't he? he, he I mean, that would be the same as me saying, you know what, here's the command. If you want to please me, all of y'all need to stand and broad jump 75 feet in the air over a tree and land on the ground. When y'all do that, I'll be happy. Well, we try. We don't get that far off the ground, busting our head, busting our knees. We try really hard. Giving you a law, knowing you cannot do it. And this is the good news in the church says, Here's only ten trees you got to jump over, you know. Oh, that's good news. And then people, you know, they puff up in their chest. Oh, well, I can do it. You know what? I can do nine of them. You guys, you losers, can only do three or four. I'm up to nine. Should we sin more that grace may abound? God forbid you've missed the whole point. And then God's got his FBI agents. We call them angels. Them knuckleheads watch me everywhere I go. I mean, I'm in the car by myself, and all of a sudden, one of them words slipped out. Whoop, up, you know, one of them words you beep out. Oh, my God. 
I got to go in front of the church and waller in the floor. I mean, good God, I mean, the FBI agent reported me. Now it's on the list. I got to go before Judge Hardhead. Does this sound like the gospel good news to you? We wonder why our churches are empty. I, you know, of course, those kind of churches fill up because there's a lot of self-righteous people. People will ask, well, you know, why don't you preach more hell? People have asked me, you don't talk about hell very much. Why should I? Is that the good news? Is hell the good news? The good news is the gospel of Jesus Christ and his passionate love for you. And he's, he's hunted you down. I mean, we sang the song, your, 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 your goodness is running after me. And you know what, guys? He caught you. He caught you. It's, I mean, what is it that leads a man to repentance? More preaching of hell? More laws, more commandments. The scripture says it's the goodness of God that leads men to repent. And the same guy that's in jail here wrote that statement, Paul. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. I mean, what is it that's got a hold of Paul that this joy is just spilling out of him? I mean, is it... Uh, Paul's not happy that people are going to hell, is he? I mean, as Paul sitting there thinking, man, the reason I'm so happy is because you Romans are going to hell. And I can't wait. There's people with that mindset. You just wait. I can't wait, man. All them Democrats are going to be in hell burning fire. Oh, and I can't wait. Paul was excited and had joy because even then Paul realized he knew God loved them. I mean, if God can love a Democrat, he can love anybody. Oh, did that just come out of my mouth? I should repent of that. You know what I'm saying. I'm just being silly. I mean, this thing grips Paul. Paul makes a statement in 2 Corinthians 5.14. The love of Christ constrains me. You know what, you know what that word means? Paul, Paul got that word from Dr. Luke. It's a, it's a medical term. It, it, it's when a person has such a high temperature, a high fever, they're hallucinating out of their mind. And they, they got to be constrained. Do you know that's, it's kind of funny, I'll just throw this a little side out. Do you know that's where the doctrine of the rapture came from? This lady in the late 1800s had such a high fever, and she was uh, hallucinating, and they had called in the preachers. They thought she was going to die, and she was spouting that stuff off, and they took it, and, and, and that's where it came from. You can check it out. What Paul is saying here is if you want to see somebody whose temperature has gone so high, somebody who has something, who's seen something outside of this world, he says, I have seen the love of Christ. And the world thinks I'm crazy. They think I've got a high temperature. They call Paul a madman. That's what Paul is saying here. You get that picture? It's... It's this that's gripped Paul. The, the love of God. 
And here's another question to go right along with, with them. What does the love of God do? Now, what's the first person, what's the first thing everybody says? Well, he forgives your sins, right? I mean, you know, forgive your sins. There's nothing too exciting about this. I mean, the only way I could get you to see this is I'm going to have to preach more sins and then say they're forgiven. I mean, this is the, the, the whole thing. It's why we got to preach more law, more terrible, how terrible you are, how terrible you are, you need to forgiven and God's looking at you kind of rolling his eyes he don't know if he wants to forgive you or not maybe he will maybe he won't depends on what kind of mood Judge Hardhead's in there's I mean I'm not asking you just listen to church people believers I'm not saying they're not they're stuck on sin they're stuck on hell that's their whole mindset is sin and hell that's it that's it All they talk about, sin, judgment, condemnation, right? Sin, judgment, condemnation. God's really upset. He's mad all the time. It's, it's all they, they ever talked about. I mean, to say a statement like God is completely satisfied in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Imagine that. I mean, who could say it? And everybody will say, yeah, but... And, and it's almost like, and I'm just talking here a little bit. It's almost like, yeah, but. Let me ask you a question. Who of you took the initiative to come to the Lord Jesus Christ? Which one of y'all jumped up one day and says, by God, I'm turning my life over to Jesus. I'm going to go find him. And this is it. And boom. And then, and then you walked up behind God and you picked him on the shoulder and he turned around and says, who are you? Well, I'm Jim, and I choose to follow you. And God said, well, good, glad to see you. Come on and join the band. Who is it that did that? Nobody. We love. Why? Because he hunted us down. He hunted us down. His goodness found us. None of us pecked him on the shoulder and said, I choose you. They'll tell me that. They'll say, well, you choose God as your Lord. Wrong. He's already Lord. God chose him as Lord. And he hunts you down. We've got to get, I mean, we love because he first loved us. I mean, and the love of God has a purpose. What is the purpose? What, what is this whole thing? To make you His children, His sons and daughters. They'll, they'll say, well, He's lost. Have you ever heard that? Well, they're lost. They're lost. Let me tell you something about being lost. You can't lose nothing that's not yours. So the very prerequisite of being lost is it must be yours or else how can it be lost? You can't lose my billfold, can you? Because it ain't yours, but now I can lose it. And what happens when I lose it? Stop the world. We got to find this thing. I got to find it. It's mine. So people say, well, they're lost. Like, well, if they're lost, they belong to somebody. And I read where somebody is going after them. And somebody has went after him and he's got him and he went after him in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, I know he had to forgive your sins to, to get you there, but he did that in Jesus Christ. Now, let's get on with it. Do you realize your sins has been forgiven in Jesus Christ? You asking God to forgive you is a moot point. He already has. Why don't you receive what's already done? But people can't because their mind is so focused on, on sin. They say, well, you know, he forgave you yesterday, but you did it again. Guess what? There is a fountain. We have an advocate with the Father. I mean, He has forgiven us. We're, I mean, th this is it. I know some people think, well, He gets tired of doing that. I'm telling you. There's a passion here, and He never gets tired. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. This is who He is. Does this make you want to go sin more? Uh, no. Jesus not only wiped out our sins, but he, but he wiped out that, you know, we were bent away from God, that, that iniquity. And he's, he, do you realize that he has now made you reconciled to God? The scripture says he reconciled the world. Imagine that, that we have peace with God. Imagine the world who is fighting and, and we can bring the good news and say, you have peace with God. Oh, I don't want to, I know, uh-uh, we don't, we, don't we don't want that. Not only have we been reconciled and forgiven, but now he has said, you know what, I'm going to come and make my abode with you. I'm going to live in you and you're going to live in me. You're, I mean, we can read about the Holy of Holies all the time and, and I love to study the tabernacle and look at that tabernacle and I think, wow, God lived right there in the cherubim and then God says, I'm going to live in you. You're the new Holy of Holies everywhere you go, in jail, planting taters, fishing, working for the state, in college, wherever you go, you're the new Holy of Holies. And I'm inside of you and you're inside of me. You're the temple. People don't get it. They, don't, they can't get a hold of that. It's, it's real. This is not God pretending. Right now, this very moment, whether you realize it or not, you are setting in the very immediate presence, the fullness of God Almighty. This man, I hope God shows up in the building today. I mean, do you, do you think about what he says? I mean, Jesus made the statement, I'm in the Father. And then he says, the Father's in me. And then he says, you're in me. I'm in you. What? We said this before, nothing, nothing separates. They share the thoughts. They share the love. They, the, all of that. And now you're included? Into that, I was supposed to go talk to some people last week. They want to talk about the Trinity. And I was, I was thinking, man, how is the Trinity an exciting doctrine? You ever think about that? The doctrine of the Trinity, how is it exciting? Most people, they want to argue points. Well, God and Jesus aren't the same, and God is greater than Jesus and all of this. Other. What's exciting about that? I mean, really, what is it? To be honest with you, my mind can't comprehend the Trinity. These three are one. I don't even try to fool with it. But I know I've been included. And he said, come to the table and let's sit down and let's talk. And I said, Jesus, what are you going to talk about? He says, I want to talk to you about putting them taters out. Because we're going to have a good crop. Now, I know, and, and you know what? 
it just blows my mind that how the religious mindset can get in and, and, and all the joy is gone from that. They don't see God in any of that or nothing. Man, to me, that's, that is life. God experiences your experiences. He shares your life with you and he puts his thoughts into your thoughts and minds and I'm glad of it because, you know, that's why Paul comes up with a statement. He says, guys, I know what you're thinking, but Paul says, for to me to live is Christ. And you know, it's because I'm in, I'm in God that the Holy Spirit assures me of that. I can tell you about it all day. I told you, it's like the people watching YouTube, they can watch it all day. But man, I'm ta- they're just words, but the Holy Spirit in you, what does He do? He bears witness with your spirit that, that you are the children of God. He comes in and, and, and I mean, He's bearing witness. Wait a minute. God is your Father. You're really God's child. You're really God's sons and daughters. And there rises within you, not only am I forgiven, which, which means I'm separated from everything that condemned me. I want you to think about it. I'm forgiven. That means I'm separated from everything that can accuse me and condemn me. Paul would say it this way in Romans. Who can lay any charge to God's elect? Any charge to God's elect. Why? Because everything that could charge me, he writes in Colossian letters, has been taken away. Nailing it to the cross. It's done. You can't accuse me. Well, you can, but these are they. The scripture talks about by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Been separated from everything that condemned me. And you've really been included into the heart of God. You, you really are His beloved. What's the response to that? Joy. What, what else could the response be? Joy. I mean, people spend all their life trying to please God, trying hard, got to please Him. I heard him this morning driving up here, you know, talking about, oh, I might have an oxygen mask on and I've got a limp, but I'm going to go up and I'm going to serve God and God's going to be so happy for me in one of these days. He's well done, that good and faithful servant. He's going to give me 10 cities. You're probably only going to get two and they're not going to be very big, probably small counties down in, you know, maybe McDowell County. They don't have much, but I'm going to get the big stuff because I was on oxygen and I'm doing everything to please God. All sounds good, sounds very religious. And other people looked at it and said, man, I could never do that. I could never do that, so why even try? But, but listen, but you hear, you don't have to try and please God. It's finished, it's over. He's already pleased, he's satisfied. God is pleased with you and has included you into Jesus Christ. Included you into the Father and is now set down on the throne of glory. And what is there left to do? Celebrate. Now that's some daggone good news. And I want to tell you something here. There's not another religion on the planet that can say that. None. Zero. Hindu, Buddhism, Islam, 
nothing. Methodism, Catholicism, none of that says what I'm telling you. And it's the truth. Every religion in the world is a matter of law. Everyone. It's the best that a human mind can come up with. Do this and then you'll get that. Is it not? Do this, then you'll get that. No matter what it is. And much of Christianity has never gotten beyond the concept of pagan religions. Do this, get that. And I'm, I'll just say this and I'm going I'm to be done here. The good news, you're accepted in the beloved. Do you ever just dwell on that? You're accepted in the beloved. And you know what? You didn't have to do a daggone thing. And he said, well, no, wait a minute, brother. The scripture says, what does the scripture tell you that you have to do to be accepted in the beloved? Believe that you're accepted in the beloved. That's what the Bible says, right? Believe. Believe what? Believe that what he's already done, he really did it. This is who he said he is. But, I mean, people think, yeah, I got to go do something. There's ten steps, four steps, seven steps to salvation. He says, believe. Receive what he's already done. That's it. And it's a joy. It's a peace that transcends everything. Look at Philippians 4, 7. Look what he says. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Talk about safekeeping. I mean, imagine that you tell somebody, tell yourself, it's, it is well. It is well with my soul. It is well. It's okay between God and me. Do you realize you can tell people that in the world? It's okay. All the hostility, the, you have peace with God through Jesus Christ. peace with God God through Jesus Christ has made us right and much more much 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 more that Jesus Christ is all and in all and he is Lord and there's not a situation in life in which he is not already Lord and and he will incorporate this circumstance this situation into his purpose and it too shall one day confess that he is Lord and I'm going to tell you, guys, it's beyond my pea brain. I'll leave you with this verse. Maybe next week we'll move on. John, on the Isle of Patmos. Again, he's there. What did John do? He didn't do anything wrong. He's there, ball and chain. Exiled to this place with brutal criminals. Revelation 4.1 And after this I looked. And behold a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard as it were. 
of a trumpet talking with me which said come up hither and I'll show you what's show you the things which must be hereafter I don't know how you read that guys but you know what he's saying come on in John table set he just said you, I'll, you know, if you'll open, I'll come in. Because he had just said and supped with him. You know what he's telling John? John, you think it's a mess. You think the world is a mess. You think everything is a mess. But, I mean, he showed him a door right in the middle of all of his mess. This is what Paul is saying. There's an earnest expectation. He's looking. I know the Lord is here. I don't know what, I don't understand it. I know he's here and there's so, so much joy. John sees the door. The Lord showed me the door one time and it was right in the midst of people's darkness. There it is. The door is a person named Jesus. And he says, you know what, John? Before you get all bound up in all this anxiety, come on in. Table is set. Come on in, John. And I'll show you. And immediately I was in the Spirit and I beheld a throne was set in heaven and only one on the throne. I thought, I thought Nero was on the throne. I thought Nero was emperor of the world. I thought he was the most powerful guy in the whole world. But behold, I see one on the throne whose one to look at was this jasper. Clear as crystal. And a rainbow, a covenant was around about the throne. My goodness, do you see this one he's talking about? This is what Paul is telling these people. That's the real deal. That's who the Lord Jesus Christ is in us. And we're in Him. And guys, it works out. I'm telling you, every day, in, in every little thing that you, that you go through, and you're, I don't know, man, it, it, it just changes everything. Uh, I don't know. All I, all I know is you have to experience this for yourself. That's all. I point you to Christ who is in you and you're in Him. Enjoy the Lord because He certainly, I want you to get this and I'm going to quit. The Lord Jesus, God our Father, enjoys you to no end. You might think you're the most boring person in the world. He loves spending time with you. I'm going to quit with that.